The U.S. is becoming more diverse, ethnically, socially, and financially. Our guest today is going to talk with us about how these changes in demographics require a new approach to how you provide financial services. Welcome to Rebuilding Retirement, Navigating a New Reality with Your Clients, a podcast series from Allianz Life Insurance Company of North America. I'm Travis Walker. I talk to thought leaders and innovators for a closer look at how retirements and the financial industry are evolving, new approaches to risk management, and how you can help your clients prepare for the future they want. Today, we're talking about the next generation of clients, who they are, and how we can help them. An Allianz study found that millennials, more than previous generations, say it's important for their advisor to be empathetic towards their financial struggles and meet them where they're at. Joining us for this conversation, we have Lacey Garcia, the founder and CEO of Willow. Willow is a wealth tech platform that helps financial professionals and firms better serve tomorrow's investors. We're going to talk to Lacey about her journey to financial services, the changing demographics of investors, and how financial professionals can prepare for the next generation of clients. Lacey, thanks for joining us. We talk about people's lived experiences shaping their money mindsets, but I want to pause there really quickly. And if you can, just define money mindsets. I don't want to assume that everyone has the same definition of that. Well, that's an excellent question, Travis. You know, there are there are multiple ways to define money mindsets. And I think probably the most commonly um, kind of understood or accepted out there, and I was, I was double checking this on Investopedia earlier, is that there are five really commonly thought of or known um, money mindsets, one being the an investor, a saver, a big spender, a debtor, and a shopper. And um, there are also other ones, um, you've probably, people have heard of protector or um, kind of entrepreneur. So there's, there's lots of different understandings of what a money mindset it is. I think one of the things though that's really key is that very few people are just one type of money mindset or money uh, personality just as, right. as individuals. We're t- we tend to be an accumulation of the intersectionality between all of our different personality types or all the things that make us up. And that is the same that goes into our money mindset and why money can be so emotional and complicated. Absolutely. And I mean, they toss out terms like, you know, behavioral finance, and I don't want to say toss them out as though that's not uh, legitimate, but you know, that absolutely is a thing. And so when thinking about how people's lived experiences shapes that mindset, if you don't mind my asking, how would you describe your money mindset? Yes. So I think above all else, Money to me is seen as a means to provide for my family and my um, kind of life and to be able to support and care for and really to empower the people and the causes that I care about and that I want to help to, you know, kind of enrich and to help them to grow and to help them to succeed. You know, I um, I was uh, very kind of fortunate growing up. I am the daughter of a Cuban refugee, so that certainly played a, a pivotal role in shaping my money mindset. Where I was, you know, I was very fortunate. I was provided with a lot of opportunity, but there was also a keen awareness that things could change any moment, and all of a sudden we could be without. So we had to be really, really smart about money. We had to be very thoughtful in terms of saving, in terms of making sure that we weren't wasting money. Um, and so that I was, you know, lucky to have been 
kind of instilled, I think, with a balance early on in understanding really, you know, getting being given opportunity, but also really understanding the value of a dollar and how important it is to be able to not only earn those dollars, but to protect them and to yeah. make sure that they'll be there <laughs> to take care of you and your loved ones in the future. No, absolutely. So I'd say then how did that shape your career? Right. So if that's how you view money, that's what it's important. You know, that's how it, it shows up in your life. Um, how does that dictate kind of your career path, your career choices? Yeah, it's such a great question. So, you know, early on in my career, I, I first went into education and that was because my real passion was to to help people and to create opportunities and sort of increase access. And I, my, at that moment, I had I had been uh, as a student, I was a really great student, but I wasn't. I felt like I wasn't good at math. So I didn't even see you financial too? Serv- yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like I didn't even see financial services as an option, right? So I went into education because I knew firsthand the value that an education can provide and how it can really transform lives through my father's journey and from through firsthand experience. Um, I and I will say I did not I did not pivot into financial services until later in my career where I actually realized how, you know, important a role money plays in that empowerment, right? In that ability to help people to achieve the things that they need and to be able to really kind of provide and care for and to create opportunities for people. So, so it was that more of a, I'd say, heartfelt connection and understanding not just the numbers, but really the the emotions and the importance around the value that money and that wealth can provide, which brought me into really wanting to be in this field. Yeah. I mean, you hear that a lot where people kind of stumbled into the industry or uh, found it when they were looking for something else. Uh, It sounds like maybe you were a little bit more intentional about that and how, uh, you know, again, your money mindset played a role in that and kind of seeking it out. Is that was would that accurately describe your foray into the uh, you know financial services industry, or are you like a lot of us where um, you know you found yourself in a room and said, "Oh my gosh, I'm in the financial services industry. How did this happen?" Oh, I'm so glad I sounded intentional about it, but it was totally not in any way, <laughs> shape, or form. No, I definitely, I definitely found myself um, in this industry. And, and, and initially wondered how I'd ended up here and whether or not I really belonged, you know, because I, I, was, I honestly questioned a lot of things about how things were done um, within the industry. So, yes. So, no, I, although it, my money mindset certainly has been something I've been able to harness and um, has, has actually fueled sort of my ability to grow in this industry, it, it wasn't as intentional as it might sound in, uh, in hindsight. Gotcha. No, that all makes sense. Um, yeah, and thinking about money mindset and, you know, early on you describing, you know, um, kind of your your roots and your beginning. I remember being a young boy and my dad was um, paying for airline tickets and he literally had a few hundred dollar bills spread out over the table. And I walked in, I was like, wow, look at all that money. And he scooped it up and said, get out of here. And it's like, and it just set the tone for me. Like, you don't talk about money. It's personal, it's private. Like, and it's, it's funny because different people have different experiences with it. And I know, and you know, one of, um, you know, your presentations, the content you created, one of the questions you do have is um, you urge an advisor to ask a client, 
how do you feel about money? And so as we move forward throughout this, this interview, I just, I was thinking about that. Like it's, it's such an important question. And when I raise it, I don't know that a lot of people necessarily uh, think about that or, you know, pondered it themselves. How do I feel about money? And so thank you for clearly defining money mindset and then, you know, kind of sharing uh, your path to that initially. Um, You and I have something in common. You, like me, had a divorce, and we know how difficult that can be. What made it so difficult? And then how could the financial service industry have served you a little better in that moment? You know, I, I very much, um, when I when I got married uh, initially and, and began my family, I I really, like many, many women out there, I did not expect that I would be fully responsible for my financial life, for my family's um, financial life for sort of our future. I, I, in many ways kind of thought I was abdicating a little bit of control of that so I can understand and empathize with so many women and, and not just women. Sometimes it's, it's the male partner who, and then obviously in same sex couples, right. one partner will maybe kind of step back from that. And one of the reasons what was the process leading to which I became divorced and, and, and also, you know, became the sole provider and then going through that divorce was a really rude awakening for me and a lot of catch up, um, you know, and I always say, despite a great education, multiple advanced degrees, you know, I, 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 and I knew better, but I didn't actually have all the answers and I, and I needed them, right. You know, I needed right. them. And I think that this is something that a lot of women find and and not just women but you know women perhaps are more vocal and uh, and open about it yeah. but certainly you know going into a divorce i mean there is a, if you have not been you know either if you haven't been the the breadwinner or you know or a co-breadwinner or you have not been in charge of the finances and you don't even you know there's lots of things you don't know you're ashamed you're embarrassed i mean many times because you know, we're so accomplished in other areas of our life in terms of career, in terms of, you know, parenting. But but it's it's really um, something that I think is is a huge. I know it's a it's not it wasn't just me. There are, are millions and millions of people in the U.S. alone who feel this way. Right. And who who struggle um, through a divorce from a financial, not only the emotional, but through a financial perspective. And it's a really an area where the industry can provide far, far better support. Um, and it's a ch- huge opportunity for, you know, wealth growth and really wealth creation as well. No, absolutely. Um, you mentioned something there that kind of stuck out to me. It's um, the word embarrassed. Allianz does a uh, retirement study each year. And one of the questions they do ask um, the the people taking the study is uh, participating in it is, you know, what's keeping you from seeking financial advice? And some of it a lot of it actually is embarrassment. And sometimes that number looks a little low and I'm thinking to myself, well, they're probably embarrassed to say that it's embarrassment. So it's kind of a vicious cycle, but uh, especially after divorce and being a woman, thankfully, you know, you were really good with math. No, I kid. (laughs) (laughs) So so that made it a little easier, but um, you decided to do something about it. And that brings me to my next question. The question I've been waiting for to, to bring up and talk about, and that is to give you an opportunity to, Tell us about your company, Willow. Um, you call this audience the new majority. Who is that? Yes. So the new majority, or really, um, we or call it tomorrow's 
clients is the fact that um, historically underserved groups of clients or investors, namely women, younger clients in the in the now millennial and really Gen Z uh, uh, generations and underrepresented groups such as Cubans and Hispanics and Latinos yeah. over here, <laughs> really the black and African-American investors and Asian investors and obviously so many other um, you know, diverse groups um, are, are fast really becoming the majority. If we look at you know, the U.S. Um, Census Bureau tells us that by 2044, the U.S. will re- reach its kind of major- majority minority moment, which means that collectively, all of these different groups of call it non-white um, Americans will make up the majority of the country. And we're seeing, you know, as we look at kind of wealth accumulation, we will a start, let me take a step back. Sorry. We start just with the great wealth transfer that obviously everybody is buzzing about kind of in the industry. The greatest recipients of the great wealth transfer are first women. Next it's, you know, the next generation. So the really beyond just the Gen X, but the millennials and the Gen yeah. Z and obviously, um, and more and more groups of, um, you know, underrepresented or historically kind of underserved clients are represented there. Um, and, and those, you know, we're becoming a much more diverse, um, population. And so right. that's what we mean when we talk right. about the m- new majority this industry was really based around kind of one demographic originally yeah. and really the country's evolved and the wealth creators and holders have evolved. And it's a much more diverse group these days. Now I've been around you enough to hear you switch up to saying, saying that changes in the market require a new approach to investing, but you're saying changes in demographics require a new approach to financial services. Um, can you define that? Yes. So these clients um, that we are talking about here are looking for something different from their relationship with their advisor, for instance, and really their relationship in general with insurance providers and financial services um, overall is that they really want, first and foremost, a trusted relationship. Um, It's a personal connection. And that requires just a new mindset as we talk about really, you know, it's not just about kind of performance anymore. It's, it's not about products and performance. It's really about equal measures, you know, human understanding with coupled with the right financial god, guidance and then the right kind of products and the right services. Yeah, no, I, I've been at a lot of, uh, you know, conferences and meetings and had a lot of conversations with people. And it's funny, the older uh, generation did tend to think like, well, what do you care about connecting with someone, right? Is it a Fortune mm-hmm. 500 company? Is it a blue chip stock? I don't care about any emotion tied to it. And um, I see that that is uh, kind of a, a departure. You know, when you talk about the the younger generation, they don't think like that. Um, that kind of stuff absolutely matters to them. Um, but and, we, and we are she, seeing, go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, and I was just going to say, and it's not just the emotion. Obviously we know the yeah. younger generations are digital first. They're not sure. digital only. They still want to work with real people, but they, they need, 
um, you know, the, 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 we've grown up with tech, they've grown up with technology and, 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 and they need a digital interface. They need that ability that communication is seamless and easy. They also need, you know, they also need kind of products and services that kind of understand their value, that are more aligned with their values. They're, they're not only financial, but really their life goals, because we see that financial and life is becoming more and more merged as it should be. Well, we, we can't just take care of that with a firm handshake. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> fine, we'll use technology. We'll go incorporate it. Um, so what are some of the changing demographics right now in the United States that, one, a financial professional needs to be aware of, and then how will changing demographics affect the way financial professionals offer guidance to clients? I think you kind of um, alluded to it a little bit talking about technology, but you know, what are those, those things that they should be aware of in this changing world around them? I think the three most important things that financial professionals should be aware of is first, when we look at kind of the great wealth transfer and who the wealth holders are, by 2030 alone, we know McKinsey has predicted that women will control 30 trillion of wealth in the US alone. And we also know that I think the latest stats from Bank of America were that 94% of all women believe that they will be solely responsible for their finances at some point of their life, whether that's be through widowhood, through divorce, through never marrying, and through their own wealth creation. So, yeah. so I think that's incredibly important to be aware of. Second is the next generation with a real focus on millennials, um, because by 2030, they will hold five times as much wealth as they do today. And Gen Z's income is projected to be $33 trillion or already to account for 27% of global income just by 2030 alone. Um, and then the third most important fact um, that we spoke about was, was the fact that um, you know, in terms of underrepresented clients by 2044, they will represent the majority of people in the US and we are seeing some of the fastest wealth growth in these sort of ethnically um, uh, you know, underrepresented communities as compared to the general population. Yeah, no, those are uh, three important bullets to talk about and um, for financial advisors to consider. But in looking at it, you're going to get people saying that there's a changing focus between the generations, but that's happened many times before. Like people who have been in the game for a while probably went through this moment with the silent generation. You don't hear much from them probably because they're silent, <laughs> and, you know, which transferred to the baby boomers. And now the focus is on Gen X and millennials. But what makes this next generation of clients unique? What what economic or historical events have, have shaped them? Well, what's crazy, if you sort of look at, um, despite being on the younger side, you know, the majority of, call it millennials, have lived through three to four once-in-a-lifetime events, right? Right. Where we look at everything from, yeah. from 9-11, well, starting with the dot-com boom, to 9-11, to, you know, most recently, covid pandemic and and these events have completely shaped yeah. their housing crisis oh yes uh, yeah you, we can keep going right so they have <laughs> <laughs> great recession of 20 to, i mean 2008 um so you know where we talk about these once in a lifetime you know catastrophic events right they're they're waiting for the next one to be just around the corner sure sure well, yeah it's funny they're they're often um 
described by older generations as, you know, not being very tough or wanting but participation trophies or, even, yeah. you know, but here they are very resilient, having experienced a lot of these events that, you know, like you said yourself are, quote, once in a lifetime that now we're going on three, four or five of them. And yeah, I really do think that it's kind of, you know, fortified them. So um, we have seen, you know, the differences in the generation. Um, I don't know that we've seen this this great of um, an amount of the transfer of wealth. Maybe that plays into it a little bit, too, that makes it uh, – little unique from when it's happened in the past. So when you get pushed back, like, ah, we've seen this before. I'm like, I don't know if we've seen it on this level. And I know, I don't think that we've seen the shift in demographics uh, either. So I think this makes it a little different this time around. So. And on a positive note for financial advisors, really financial professionals in general. So the fact that these generations have experienced or watched, you know, their parents, their grandparents, and then themselves go through financial hardships, um, you know, that were not just because of, but they might've been, you know, tied to larger economic factors instead of just their own kind of work or production, you know, they have become increasingly more open to working with an advisor. I know back in 2016, less than 50% of millennials um, polled by Nationwide, said that they needed to use a professional. Um, however, according to new research, that nearly two-thirds of millennial and Gen Z investors believe working with an advisor is key for financial success, and 85% indicated that they would like some form of behavioral coaching. That comes sure. back to your point about behavioral uh, finance to help them avoid making financial mistakes, procrastinating or making rash decisions. We do a study. We look at that. And one thing that I'm always encouraged by is the, the number is relatively low. When you look at people that say they can just do it themselves. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know about that. I, um, yeah, I would always say seek financial help. I, I say there's, there's two reasons generally why you don't do something. It's because you, you can't do it or you, you don't want to do it. And, um, not everything can be done on your own or even answered through a series of really, uh, exciting YouTube videos. So thankfully they haven't well, cut out the financial professional. And, but I do think Travis, like what's different is that, you know, and the older generations were more willing to just trust the advisor right? Sure. to, 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 to be, to be like, okay, you're the professional. I turn it over to you. Yep. Whereas we see with these younger generations, a, they are, you know, they're finding a lot of information online. You know, they're looking at yeah. social media. They're yeah, they're doing research. Friends. They're doing their own research. They have their own opinions. They, they, they want a much more collaborative kind of give and take debate, even style relationship with their advisor. So advisors really need to be kind of prepared and equipped for that. Um, and, and that's, that's a, I think a, a important like nuance and, and a real change in that advisor client relationship that, um, is coming with those younger generations. Yeah, absolutely. I think you said something very important there is that, you know, the, the default setting, if you will, for the older generation was just to trust. Um, but I think so much has happened in this world and information gets around so quickly and, and you hear, you know, some of these things done in bad faith and, um, over time, that that does build up a perception, not just of um, that advisor, but sometimes as an industry as a whole. So, so knowing that that that's the reality, we're set against that backdrop. What what questions do 
financial professionals need to be asking new clients? Like, I know we need to um, convey authenticity and and show that we have their their best interest. Um, but in doing that, you do have to establish trust. Trust, and I think a, a way of doing that is asking, you know, questions and, and seeing what it is that they need from from you. So if you're sitting in a client's chair, what, or I'm sorry, an advisor's seat, what, what questions do you ask to, uh, to get to the heart of it? Yes. I think as you said, um, you know, first of all, asking, asking questions and then listening for two thirds of the conversation, <laughs> even, even more so, right. Yeah. But, but starting with, you know, understanding and asking what that client's values are. Yeah. You know, what, you know, starting it with, as we talked about, like, what's your relationship with money? How do you yeah. feel about money? What is it that you want your money to do for you? Like what, what do you want to achieve here? It, it's yeah. not just a performance or dollar amount, but like what is important to you in your life that money can help to provide? So it's really yeah. When you say the relationship with money, I mean that's uh, like I said, it's such an important question. I know that when it was posed to me, I mean it it stopped me in my tracks. Like you know what, I I never really considered it to that point. It just you know it's kind of a a tool, a very useful one yeah, exactly. <laughs> that we all need. Um, what in that vein, then, what assumptions can no longer be made? I mean, what are we moving on from? I mean, again, this is rebuilding retirement after all. I mean, we can't just default to what we knew before. What assumptions are there that can uh, can no longer be made? I would say pretty much all. <laughs> you know, that's what, one of the things is that, you know, you can no longer assume, you know, you have to seek to understand. Yeah. Um, I Obviously, any unconscious bias that we, that we hold when we see a woman walk in to our office, and by the way, these days, uh, 90% of the time she's not walking into your office. You know, she's, she's showing up an email or on, you know, the other side of a video call, but don't make any assumptions uh, about what role she plays as in the family in terms of right. her, you know, if she's not a provider, if she's a caregiver, what she is. Um, similarly, you know, it, it, that goes for, for all different types of clients. Um, is that really we can't assume we have to ask, we have to listen, we have to seek to understand. There are commonalities. Clearly, there's a lot of great data out there. There's 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 frameworks, there's roadmaps. You know, once you understand sort of that mindset of that client, what relationship they, you know, what their their kind of financial relationship is in the family. And there are certainly best practices that you can leverage once you get a better understanding, but the first thing you need to do is seek to understand really yeah. who that client is. No, absolutely. And you're literally talking about, uh, you know, financial advice and working with people and trying to help them facilitate a dream. It would, it would be in your best interest to really get to understand them, know them, approach them, meet them where they're at. Um, but that doesn't just apply to clients, right? I mean, we've been talking a lot about clients, but what about the next generation of financial professionals? Like, what does it mean for recruiting new financial uh, professionals onto a team or into your office? Like, how is how is that approach going to uh, to differ? Okay, well, if we know that you know tomorrow's investors, clients who are really today's and, and leading into tomorrow look different, um, we want to make sure that our teams also you know look different. That we are creating more diverse 
and inclusive teams for starters to help us to better understand, to raise our cultural awareness and to better connect with these next generations of clients. I mean, it starts today, you know, we, we can't all create the diversity that we want immediately, you know, overnight. We know that the industry itself struggles from a, from a kind of representation standpoint. I, and I'm also not saying that you have to look exactly like the person at the other side of the table. I think there right. are many amazing advisors, you know, who are, who are white men who work incredibly well with women who work incredibly well, oh, absolutely. With, you know, younger yeah. folks who are, you know, from different, different ethnic backgrounds, but, but they need to really create a culture amongst the team that, that kind of honors, celebrates diversity of opinion. And, and, and that will start to begin a, not only to kind of attract the talent that they need, sure. but also, you know, that is, part of that authenticity that so many of these next generation of clients are seeking from, yeah. from that team, from that individual and from that team. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's funny. You, everyone you meet knows something you don't know. And I, I've run into so many um, older uh, financial advisors who've been doing this and doing it very well for a, a long time. And either they haven't fully embraced the technology or they don't leverage social media. Um, but what they are smart enough to do is then uh, bring in someone either for an internship or flat out hire them and say, hey, you have a diversity of thought, opinion and idea, something that I'm not necessarily doing, but I can, you know, bolster my practice if I bring you on board because you know something that I don't. Um, and it's it's worked out well. But again, like you said, it's not going to happen overnight. Um, some people are, are in an area that just, you know, geographically lends more to that um, in, in, in terms of giving them an opportunity to build a diverse team. I met a gentleman, he said he's from Fargo. He said he had no diversity. And I said, really? So there are no young people in Fargo. There are no military <laughs> veterans in Fargo. There's no, uh, you know, women in Fargo. I've done yeah. a study. I think there's there are women in Fargo. Yeah. And then once he didn't so narrowly define diversity, he thought, oh, well, you know what? There actually is. So looking at it from that standpoint, when you've you know broadened the definition, because it is a broad definition, um, how can they start preparing that next generation within their own team? Yes. Um, it's, you know, it, it, not only finding those people, but then retaining them and growing yeah. them is, is critically important. But certainly, as you mentioned, just in terms of finding them, it's like, if you can't find them, maybe you're just not looking in the right places. So, you know, broaden your search, put something out on LinkedIn, connect with the local universities, right? You know, and, and internship programs that start at the high school level is a great way to bring in diverse pools of talent at a young age and kind of open up the network. Um, and then, yeah, it's really critical that we are not just, you know, bringing these people in and, you know, and then expecting them to just grow and develop yeah. and be, we need to, we need to proactively support them. We need to be, provide them with mentorship. We need to provide them with sponsorship. You know, we have programs at Willow that are specifically designed on uh, to help younger advisors to get the knowledge, to get the skills, to get the experience that they need and to grow their networks um, yes. you know, so that they can succeed in this industry. 
Yeah, no, Willow's amazing. I'm always um, too happy to talk about it every time I'm in front of someone yeah. and, you know, we've co-branded some things. So every time I see like, ah, you know, Willow, let me, let me tell you a little bit about it. So I know that you know, and so I'll say, what are three things a financial professional can do right now to help prepare for this next generation of clients? First is knowledge. Second is skills. And third is the tools, which includes, right, the content, kind of the technology, yeah. the marketing. Um, really, and, and, and if you break it down to a very tactical level, um, and, 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 and there are resources out there, I know this is what we do at Willow, we, yeah. we equip advisors with the knowledge, with the skills, you know, with access to those resources so that yes. they can understand and they can connect and they can acquire and grow relationships with these clients. Yeah, no, it's it's a wonderful how-to guide. I've had the benefit of going onto your site and kind of navigating it and looking at content. And there's just, uh, there, like you said, tools. There are so many. So it's not like you're having to feel your way through the dark. Um, if you're looking for resources, you're looking for tools. And it's like, like you said, even with mm-hmm. trying to fill out um, the ranks in your office with diversity, it's there. You just may have to look for it. Um, I wanted to, to back up and discuss something really quickly because we defined earlier money mindset and you did a masterful job of talking about all that that includes. We touched briefly on digital native. So one, I, if you can, I'd love for you to uh, define digital native and um, then you know, we'll, we'll dive into a little bit of how, you know, advisors can use that. I know that they're not, you know, they're digital first, but not digital only. But um, if you could describe it, what is digital native? Well, first of all, growing up in the world of technology that we live in today, right? You know, I mean, those of us in the earlier generations, you know, did not have cell phones, did not have internet, did not have um, the ability to to provide, you know, transact kind of financially online, right? All that that's at these um, younger generations fingertips, but it's also the fact that they grew up with it, right? So they have a, a right. high expectation around technology and that technology works and that technology provides greater efficiency and that they can get things quickly and easily. And so their level of patience for some of the more kind of antiquated practices within this industry is not there. So that's just, I think, an important thing to understand with the digital and native. And one of the disconnects we see a lot of times is that, you know, the sort of majority of advisors are um you know over age 55 so they did not grow up digitally native you know and 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 so there's just this we have to bridge this gap right we have to make sure that we are technologically savvy that we are presenting um you know a seamless integration with technology and the fact that our client service is bolstered through technology and that we're able to kind of meet the the demands and the expectations of these clients. Yeah, no, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And thank you for that, that definition. That's, that's what I was going to say. So now I know exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we're on the same page there, you know, and looking at it, I mean, you know, these older advisors have a, a wealth of knowledge. They do have a way uh, in which they've done things for a lot of, uh, of years, many years, and it's proven successful, successful for them. Uh, but then looking at this and knowing that this is what this next generation of uh, potential clients is, is going to want. 
what are some things that they could or should be doing, you know, to to market themselves uh, or to better integrate, you know, again, their their knowledge with these tools so that they can really demonstrate uh, the value of their practice? Yeah. So advisors who are looking to attract and to grow relationships with this, these next generations of clients, they need to make sure that their value is clearly communicated online through their website, through their social media, their LinkedIn profile, um, you know, and, and, and not sort of in, I hate to say it, but an old school way, right? Yeah. They need to show who they are as a person. They need to show their why they need to, sh- you need to show why you care about these clients. You know, they're not going to want to work with you. You might have a great resume and experience and that's great. That's a check the box that is critically important, but they're really looking to understand like who you are and why sure. you care about them and why you can provide them with value. So, um, so they need up to, you need updated websites. And as I mentioned, a LinkedIn kind of profile and a strategy around social media. And obviously the new kind of rules are helping to make yeah. this easier. Um, and certainly advisors who are looking to connect with younger investors, you know, having sort of a digital marketing strategy is critical as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, take this time to promote anyone's particular platform, but yeah, you, as you and I well know, we've gone to a, a lot of these industry events. There is some yeah. software out there that just does uh, amazing things. And I I am heartened by the fact that a lot of times I do see uh, some of the older advisors in those rooms trying to learn about it, um, at least you know, taking some cues from what this younger generation would like to see. And um, at some point they they you know roll up their sleeves and, and get into it as well but you know again not wanting to name any particular platform or um, or a company there are a lot of really amazing ones out there when you think about the technology and how that's kind of integrated into what they do so um, they should and will continue to do that because a younger generation certainly will <laughs> yes and I think that's a really important thing Travis is there's there are resources there's platforms um, there are you know, growing companies that are out there specifically focused around helping um, helping advisors to do just this. I mean, and I know it's one of the things that we do at Willow, right? So, yeah. so it it doesn't have to seem like this is this big mystery. It's actually something that you can do much easier than you think you can, and probably way more affordably than you think you can as well. And you will well, yeah. see, and you will yeah. see a return on this for sure. Well, and then you're able to reach more people, right? I mean, a willow didn't exist in the world and now it does and it's doing, you know, great things. And it's like, well, if you had access to that, now you can, you know, kind of learn a a new trick, learn a new language and hopefully uh, be able to reach more people. So um, we've just about arrived at our destination, but one or actually a couple questions that I like to ask people before uh, telling them where they can you know, find you online. Um, I'd like to do that now and you can tell me your thoughts. Uh, and the question one is, what does your ideal day look like in retirement? <laughs> Love that question. Um, I'm like, Laying on a beach, <laughs> sipping a cocktail. No, I really think that I really think that retirement um, for me, you know, would be surrounded with by family and friends. Ideal day, family, friends, um, you know, and and knowing that 
Um, there's, I can sleep at night. There's no stress. There's no worry. There's, you know, that, that everything, everybody's provided for that, yeah. that you know, that kind of like hustle that, that, that actually that you reach the top of the mountain and you can kind of just relax. Right. Yeah. That would be, that would be my ideal day in retirement. No, absolutely. I think more than anything, we all want peace. And so yeah. that's the what I'd like to kind of ask the how. What's what's the best thing you have done or are doing to make sure that you can achieve that vision for your retirement? Well, as I mentioned, you know, kind of most important to me is the ability to provide for my family. So um, critical to that is, for instance, my son's education. So yeah. I set up a 529 plan. I have... Um, I have been kind of investing in that right. um, as well as, um, you know, having sort of a diversified portfolio of investments. And um, it's really important. Everybody knows to max out your 401k. Um, a conversation for another day is those who are in sort of the startup or the, um, you know, contractor world where you don't always have a 401k, but I think right. that that's more than we can get into right this minute. Sure. But I, I think, um, like I said, for me, most important is to make sure that my um, kind of family is provided for. So that's been what I feel like I've been really focused on and, and doing my best to make sure that, that I achieve that goal. Okay. So for listeners who have enjoyed today's conversation, where can they find you online? You can find us at Trust willow.com so um trust willow.com thank you so much for your time today from our conversation with lacy we learned how changes in demographics require a new approach to financial services that means meeting younger and more diverse clients where they are in life with more diverse investors seeking financial guidance you'll want to be ready to help i'm travis walker thanks for listening